The reading today is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through to 21. It's on page 988 of the Blue Bible, or in your leaflet and on the screen. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because we fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That was uh, a classic example of John's uh, writing, yes? Yes. Did you feel that he never went in any straight lines? What words stuck out at you? Love. And what we're going to talk about this morning uh, is love. I'd like to suggest, though, that our society, when it thinks about love, and maybe ourselves, we're a little conflicted when it comes to love. I'm sorry, I'm going to put my generational uh, identity on display here. Some of you will know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, For those who don't, fill in the blanks with uh, your own cultural icons. You might remember Tina Turner, yes? Do you remember what she asked? She said, what's love got to do with it? Uh, Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? What's love but a second-hand emotion? For younger generation, you know, find something that works for you. Uh, Older generation, maybe a Sinatra tune, you could find that. But then the Beatles... You've probably heard of them. They tell us that all you need is love. So what's love got to do with it? And all you need is love. You know, we've got some issues with this topic of love. Look at the media, the, the TV, the, uh, the movies that we watch. It is saturated with love, but very different views on love. I think it's fair to say that love both enthralls us, and if we're actually honest, it terrifies us. We long for it. When we see it, 
It's compelling. We want it and we want more of it. But as we kind of approach it, we're afraid that it will disappear like a mirage. So what we do is we settle for pale substitutes. Because love has both this incredibly attractive but incredibly scary perspective, we settle for pale substitutes. Because I think our society and maybe ourselves, we've turned love into the answer to the question, what's in it for me? We've turned love into seeking to meet our needs. Love has become, I think as a culture, all about us. It's twisted by that self-interest. Can I ask you, whether you're thinking about marriage, dating, friendship, it seems to be easier now for people just to pull up stumps and move on. Love doesn't seem to be what it used to be. This morning we want to explore the question, should love be different for us as a church, for us as God's people? Does being a Christian actually give us extra resources, something that the world at large doesn't have, so that we might love? We're going to consider this under four headings. They're on your notes. You've got a little outline somewhere. But here they are for you. The call for love. Secondary, the cost of love. The face of love. And truly loved, truly loving. So let's dive in. The call for love. I just asked you the question, are churches different? Should we as Christians be different? And I think the answer, I think you'd all agree, is that we should be. We should be. Whether we are or not, that's another question. But the Lord Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, he shared a meal with his disciple, and John records for us that at one point he gets down on his knees, dresses as a servant, and washes their feet. And after this, he tells them this. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus gives us love as the defining characteristic of the community of his disciples. And John, he was there at the dinner, he picks this up, if you've got your Bibles there, verse 7. He tells us, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. In case you missed it, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And you guys picked it up as we read it out, love, 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 love. But what Jesus is saying is this love should actually define us. It should actually put us on display so people see that we are not just a religious club, but we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. So what does that love look like? Well, John tells us in verse 8, God is love. In verse 
16, what's he tell us? God is love. The Lord Jesus says, as I have loved you. So we must not accept what the world is saying love is, what our society is saying love is, what our songs sing of, what our media portrays. We've got to go first and foremost, if we are going to be truly loving as God has called us to be, we've got to look at the example of Jesus. We've got to look at the character of God. And he shows us two things, shows us lots of things, but two things in particular about love. It's selfless. Think of Jesus. Did Jesus have a sudden burning desire to wash a whole bunch of filthy feet that evening after dinner? I don't imagine many of us would think uh, we've got guests around uh, that we might get down with a basin and start washing feet. Jesus responds to their need, not motivated out of his need. Jesus, as he goes to the cross, doesn't go there in any sense for his own sake. He goes for our sake. To love as Jesus loved is to love selflessly, but also sacrificially. Think of the cost, the indignity of washing feet, the indignity of being stripped beaten, mocked, and killed. True love not only is selfless, but it is sacrificial. It costs, it costs an extraordinary amount. And as that love manifests within us, it's got these dimensions. Look at verse 21 if you've got your Bibles open. He says, he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone who loves God, anyone who claims to have that vertical love, if you want to put it like that, must have a horizontal love. Anyone who claims to love God, the reality of that, John is saying, is seen in the relationships that you have with one another. If you don't believe me, look at verse 20. Whoever claims to love God and hates his brother or sister is a liar. Anyone who does not love brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God who they haven't seen. John is saying that the test of the reality of our love for God is our love for one another. The test for us as a church to be a true church, at this angle, John is saying, the love that we have one for another is key. Think about it. Do you find that easy? Do you think if you walked in here, people would go, or if, if someone walk, a visitor walked in, they, they would see that love? I can remember a church where Karen and I uh, attended when I was at Bible college. Uh, once we walked in and sat next to a lady who got up and moved. Uh, she made it very clear that she was concentrating on the vertical. Well, yes, we'd had showers that morning. Uh, no, we were appropriately dressed and we weren't being, you know, I was behaving myself basically is what I'm saying. Uh, she had no reason to get up and go, we thought, but for her, church was all about the vertical. 
and the horizontal got in the way. How are we on that? How are we on that? As you came here this morning, what did you come here for? What are you looking for? What did you come with? Because it's easy to come to a community like this and go away and ask yourself, what did you get out of being here? Were your needs met? Is that what you came for? I was talking to someone during the week who said that their parents, when they drove home from church every week, would dissect the experience. And it came down to, what did they get out of it? But John is actually saying, it's not so much what you get out, it's what you give. It's not how you were loved, it's whether you were loving. It's how that works. How do you go? How do you go with those around you who you find difficult? We're big enough now that you can kind of avoid each other, can't you? And we're socially adept enough that we can be polite and nice. But the reality is, is that there are some people we love and they're often the people who love us. And there are some people that we don't. And we sometimes justify it to ourselves, I'm called to love them, but I'm not called to like them. But so often, you don't know what that love even looks like because you don't actually want to have anything to do with them. So how are you loving them? It's not saying we have to be, what is it, BFFs with everyone. <laughs> you know, we have to be tight. But how do we express love for one another that we are called to express? At a church uh, that uh, my family was at before we came here, there was a lady uh, by the name of Alva uh, there. And Alva, Alva, if you heard her story, it was horrific. And it left scars, very deep, very obvious scars in her life. And Alva, let's say, was one of those people for whom social conventions didn't really work so, uh, for example, parents, listen, imagine this happened to you. Your daughter goes up to get some biscuits uh, from the morning tea table and is told to go away that she was fat. How do you respond to that? Alva was like that. She would say things that most of us wouldn't even think, let alone say. But do you know the amazing thing? It's at the time that we were there, we saw that community of God's people so love her that we saw healing and transformation in her life. We saw a community loving someone who at her worst could be phenomenally unlovely. But their love for God transformed their relationship it meant grace, it meant forgiveness, it meant uh, embracing her with all her prickles, with all her issues. How good are we at doing something like that? I've been here long enough and I can remember many of the brothers and sisters who are no longer here. And to my shame, 
I would say that some of those people left because we didn't love them. Some of them left for great reasons. They moved into state, they moved away, whatever. But some of them walked out because they didn't find a community here. Do you find it easy to welcome those who are not like you, to be alongside those who you find don't give to you, don't fill up the love tank. They're drawing it out and they're punching more holes like they're sucking you dry. How do you go with that? John's saying that's the mark of a true Christian and a true Christian community. That actually God's love is displayed through it. 1 John 4.21 No, let's keep going. Let's go to 1 John 4.12. That's the one I was after. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. What he's actually saying is that God is manifest. His character is seen when his people love like he loves. God's love displays the reality of our love as well as the reality of his love to the world. That people should be able to see we are disciples of Jesus because we love one another. How do we go with that? How do we go with that? Some of you, the more tender-hearted, are probably feeling a little under the pump. Because you know, as the rest of us hard-hearted people don't want to face up to, you know that you find it hard to love. You know that so often we can seek our own needs and so we look at something like this and John has very black and white language. Love, otherwise you are not. And we think, okay, well, well maybe I'm not. And John is saying that the reality of our love for God is actually seen in our love for each other. But what John is actually putting before us, what Jesus is commanding us, is not perfection, not that we get it right every time, not that we've arrived at the destination, but that we are on the journey. So when, when you find it hard to love, do we just justify it? Or does it grieve us? Do we repent of our lovelessness? When there's breakdown in relationship, do we seek reconciliation? Are we open to reconciliation? Or do we just justify why this cold war is okay? Do we look at others and find it easy to attribute the worst of motives rather than the best? How are we with love? One of the dangers we have is that we can have a false assurance. We can know the gospel. We can know it in our heads. But it can be a dead orthodoxy. You can tick all the right boxes. You can have all the right answers. But what John is saying, it needs to impact your life. You're not saved by your love, but your love is evidence that you are saved. J.C. Ryle said this, 
He said if men, he spoke over 150 years ago, so ladies, forgive him, he meant you too. If men have no likeness to the Father in heaven, it is vain to speak of their being his sons. He's saying you must have the family resemblance. But it costs, doesn't it? Love costs. Selfless, sacrificial love costs because the Father in love sent the Son. The Son in love emptied himself and became man. In love, the eternal word was born in mortal flesh. The pure and perfect Son of God was born in the likeness of sinful humanity. In love, Jesus stands in baptism, identifying himself with sinful rebels. In love, the king kneels to wash his disciples' filthy feet. In love, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, submitted to a crown of thorns. That's love. That's selfless, sacrificial love. Gandhi said, I think quite appropriately, that a coward is incapable of exhibiting love. It's the prerogative of the brave. If that's the standard, do you have the guts to be loving? I hope we're feeling the weight could you ever be that brave? Could you ever give as Christ gave? Could you ever be so utterly selfless, pouring your life out for others? Can I say, if we look at Jesus merely as an example, this will crush us. This will drive us into the ground. Jesus as example is too good, too perfect. But there's another way of looking at the cross. There's another way of actually allowing what it is that Christ did to change us and so change the way we love. Not by sheer effort, he loves, so I'm going to love. But recognising that he loved us. And letting his love transform you. Letting his love meet your need. Letting his love answer your fear. Because so often what gets in the way of love is our fear. If I love like that... Who will look after me? Who will love me in return? And so we find people and we enter into these exchanges. If I give you this, you'll give me that. When we say, I love you, so often what we actually are saying is, I love the way you do things to me. Rather than, I love you. I love what you give me. I love what being in relationship with you does for me. Think about it, it's easy sometimes. I've heard people say, I've probably said it to myself, 
I love that person too much. I could never tell them that. That's a sure sign that what you love is what they give you rather than them in and of themselves. When we back off, when we regulate our relationships as to not threaten our supply of love, as we never are prepared to step in and say the hard word in love, we reveal that our own love has more to do with the world than it has to do with God. Something needs to answer that fear. And John tells us that Jesus has answered that ultimately. He says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And John is saying that in the gospel, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus... Your greatest fear has been answered. The greatest fear is that we stand before God and he says, I don't know you. Depart from me. And in Christ, this has been answered. And in the gospel, we see this perfect love. In the gospel, we see how much God loves us. In the gospel, we look into the face of love. 1 John 4, 19 says this, We loved, or we love, because he first loved us. Verse 16, we know and rely on the, God, the love God has for us. What John is saying is as we live in the love that God has for us, so we can then love like he loves. As we know that there is no fear in love, as that love speaks to our fears, so we can love as he loves. We can allow that love to transform us as we gaze into the face of love. 1 John 4 verse 9, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent him to die that we might live. Christ emptied himself that we might be filled. Christ was humbled that we might be glorified. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, literally as a propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a word we don't use very much. But what it is, is a gift that turns away anger. And what John is saying that in the gospel, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's anger, his just anger against our sin is turned away and we have no need to fear it. So instead of anger that we deserve, John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. It's as as God's love grips us, so we can love one another. 
as we know that we are truly loved, we can be truly loving. It is the extent to which that grips us that it will transform us. It's the difference between, if you imagine you'd never tasted honey, and someone came and they described to you honey, its sweetness and its you know, thick sort of caramelly texture. And that, that, but then one day you go to the cupboard with your spoon and you grab the honey. And I know you've all done it, haven't you? Yes? And you go in and you get a massive dollop of honey and you put it in your mouth. It is one thing to have someone describe honey to you. It's another thing. It's another thing to experience that. It's one thing to have a head knowledge that God loves you. It's another thing to experience that each and every day in your heart and be transformed. I want to spend just the last couple of minutes talking about how it is that God does that. It's what the old Christian writers used to talk about as means of grace. How is it that we tap into God's love? What methods, what things has he given us? Do I just sort of have to sit there and wait for it to happen? No. If you are his child, he has given you his spirit and he has given you these means of grace. He's given you his word. And in his word is promise after promise after promise of his love. In his word, God is revealed truly. In his word, we know him completely. Not we exhaust knowledge, but what we know is perfectly true. As we encounter God in his word and then respond to him in prayer, we are transformed. We will be changed. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, are we people who love the word of God? Or does it sit on our bedside? Does it sit on our shelf? Sadly neglected. And we wonder sometimes why this Christianity doesn't seem to be changing us, doesn't seem to be working. It's because we're actually not having that fellowship daily with our Father. We're not hearing his words. What manner of love I've lavished upon you, my dear child. But another means of grace that he has given us is this. Look around. He's placed us in a community. We come together and we sing songs of praise. We worship our Father. We sing of his grace and his mercy and love. We pray together. We hear God's word together. We share the Lord's Supper, those visual reminders of God's love and Christ's death for us. Can I suggest that sometimes we are in danger of our familiarity getting in the way. That church 
I spoke of where Karen and I sat down and the lady got up and moved. They had a real sense that they had come to meet with God. They got it wrong about the one another bit, but they knew that they had come to meet with God. The vertical was there. It just lacked in the horizontal. I wonder, and take this under consideration, I wonder whether we do the horizontal so well that we actually neglect the vertical. That we're so good at sharing the time together that we actually forget that we've come together to meet with God. It's a bit difficult with the whole crossover between 9 and 11. At 9 I encourage people maybe come 10-15 minutes early. For you it doesn't quite work. But maybe you come to morning tea early enough to grab your coffee, have your chat, come in five minutes early and to prepare yourself rather than come in halfway through the first song. Because we're singing, not because we just like singing. We're singing because God is worth singing to. The God is worth praising. This God. Do we kind of, oh, I'll just finish my conversation. And I'm as guilty as the rest. I'm not wagging a finger at you. But I think, I think if we set aside God as God, it will actually overflow into our one another relationships and we will be even more rich there. And people will look at us and they will say, wow, there is something different about them. And that difference will be that God's love has transformed us. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage you, gaze upon Christ in his word. Come to him in prayer and reflection. Don't treat the gathering of God's people lightly. See how much you've been given, how much you've loved, how much... You have been filled to overflowing with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let his spirit testify with yours that you are children of his. And then motivated and empowered by the love that he lavished on you in Christ. We can go and do what he tells us. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God let's pray Father so often it is it is easy to get caught up in what this world thinks of as love to lose sight of just how wonderfully selfless and sacrificial you are as you choose by your grace we don't deserve your mercy we don't deserve your love but in Christ it is ours Father turn our hearts from this cheap love give us such a sense of your love for us in Christ that we might know 
we might know not only with our heads but in our hearts and so see our lives transformed, that we might love as the Lord Jesus loved. We might love showing your character in this world. We might love because we are loved. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.